But the chief purpose of it all is that by the grace of God, that it will lead us to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And so before we go into our topic with the purposes of the Bible, I'm once again going to consecrate myself in prayer. And as much as you're able to, I'm going to ask if you could join with me as we approach the Lord's throne in kneeling before God. If you are able to, I'm going to ask you to please join with me. If not, then let's reverently bow our heads as we would pray. Loving Father, we are so grateful, Lord, for the privilege and the opportunity to study your word. And Father, as you admonished us yesterday for the preparation to come to study, dear God, now we're looking at the great purpose of the Bible altogether, the theme. And I pray, dear Father, that as you open our eyes, help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. Father, I am not naturally equipped to give your people the word of life. But I'm grateful for the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Heavenly Father, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Amen. And may you speak to your servant and speak through your servant to your people. And while all the blessings may fall out to others, please, Father, do not pass me by. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to turn your Bible to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. We're going to go and take a look at what the Bible is telling us as we're seeking to understand better the theme of the Bible, the great purpose of the Scripture. The Bible says in 2 Peter, chapter 1, starting at verse 20. Very familiar text. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1 and verse 20, Knowing this first, that how many prophecies? No prophecy, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but what kind of men? Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Bible makes it very clear that when the scriptures were put together, it didn't come by just a brother or sister just simply saying, hey, I want to tell people about a bunch of religious stuff. These things came directly from heaven. God's spirit spoke to the minds of human beings who submitted themselves to God, and therefore God called them not just men, but he called them holy men. Now, the reason why I find that to be interesting is I want you to see what the book of Acts chapter 3 tells us. In Acts chapter 3, we find out something that I thought was very interesting because remember, the focus of this study is to help us better understand the great purpose or theme of the Bible. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, in verse 19, now brothers and sisters, there are many applications in which we can do this. When Acts 3.19 was put together, it had a present application for that day when Peter was talking to the brethren. It most certainly has an application for the last days. But brothers and sisters, I want us to see another lesson that we can pull out of this very same chapter. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it says, Repent ye therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. And what shall happen next? Look at what it says in verses 20 and 21. Watch this. It says, And he shall send Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until when? 
the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of how many? All. All his what? Holy prophets since the world began. Now here it is that we saw in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21, that the scripture did not come by private interpretation. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. God worked through these men and women to put together the word of God that we have today. Now in Acts 3, specifically in verse 21, we see them now referred to not simply as holy men, but holy what? Holy prophets. And it says that whatever the previous sentences were saying, this was the whole reason why the holy prophets wrote the Bible. Did you catch it? Look again at verse 20. It says in verse 20, Acts 3, verse 20, it says, and he shall send who? Jesus Christ, which before was preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive unto when? The times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. The great focus, the great emphasis that the scriptures were put together is to show us how Jesus, through his ministry, is going to restore all things. Are you following so far? Now, the reason why this becomes very important to you and I is because if Jesus is going to restore all things, that there clearly must be a recognition that things got distorted. Is that right? That's the only reason you need to restore something. It's because somewhere along the lines it got marred, it got messed up, or it got distorted. Now, understanding that, here's the question. What do you think are some of the things that's going to be restored? If somebody would ask you, well, what are the things that's going to be restored? It's talking about restoring all things. That's what the text is telling us. What are some of the things that you believe would be restored? Give me an example. Say again. God's law. What else? Us. What else? A perfect world. Now, when you talk about a perfect world, would you also include the things that we see out in this world, like the mountains, the roses, the flowers, all the different things, the atmosphere? Is all of that going to be restored as well? Yes. Watch this now. Question. Is God's mission to restore all things? Yes. Is that the great focus of the scripture? No. Now, watch this, brothers and sisters. Watch this. If God wanted to restore all things and bring everything back into its original state, then I have a question. Or bring things back to the way things should have been before sin came into this world. Then I have a question. Do you believe God is a God of order? Yes. Yes. Which one came first? Man falling and then everything in the world, world got distorted? Or everything in the world got distorted and then man fell. Which one happened first? Man fell first and then everything else got what? Distorted. So when we look at the mountains, and what's so amazing is we can still see the wonderful beauty of God. Because when we look at, out at mountains and see all the jagged edges, some of us will still look at those mountains and say, oh, that is so beautiful. And yet God said, no, you don't even know what beauty is. Because God said that before sin, there were no jagged edges. We can look at a rose and we can smell it and say, man, that thing smells so good and it looks so beautiful. But at the same time, we know that we have to be very careful how we pick up that rose, right? Because what's on it? Thorns. Were those thorns there before sin? No, it was there after sin. So that while God wants to restore so many things, 
read that before God can restore all these other things, he must first restore where man fell. He first has to restore where man fell, and once he can fix that, then every other thing gets restored and fixed up. Is that right? So that means that in order for us to really get magnified this wonderful theme of the Bible, we have to go back to the creation story. And therefore, I invite you to turn your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. In Genesis, the second chapter, we're going to see some beautiful things that God is going to show us as it relates to Adam and Eve. And when you get there, I'm going to ask you to please say amen. amen. The Bible says in Genesis, chapter 2, starting at verse 20, it says, And Adam gave names to all cattle, and to fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found to help me for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman. Praise God. And brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now, verse 25, I'm going to ask you to please read it with me. In verse 25, it says, And they both were naked, but the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So therefore, we find Adam, he's there, and he's saying, Okay, I have an occupation, I have to go ahead and name the animals. So he starts going around, all right, you're Mr. Cow, you're Mrs. Cow. Then he looks at me and he says, okay, you're Mr. Giraffe, and you're Mrs. Giraffe. And then he's going all along, you're Mr. Ladybug and Mrs. Ladybug. And he's going all throughout the creations, and then ultimately you can imagine Adam just going to that clear, beautiful water, and he sees a reflection of himself, and he says, Adam, and Adam. And he realizes, wait a minute, everything else has a pair, but I don't. And God, in compassion and mercy, he decides, Adam, I want you to take a nap. He allows Adam to go ahead and sleep, and when Adam woke up, he saw his bride from his side. <laughs> Adam sees this wonderful glory, and all of a sudden he says, this is none other than a woman. Praise God. And as he says, this is none other than a woman, the Bible then says, and they were both naked. But not ashamed. So therefore, the condition of Adam and Eve at the close of Genesis 2, before sin, before the fall, they were naked, but not ashamed. Now let's go to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, the Bible now says in verse 6, and the Lord said, you remember this story, Genesis 3 verse 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, here goes Eve talking to a snake. And then here it is, it says, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, he took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat, and the eyes, now this is interesting, verse 7, and the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And then he goes, verse 9, where it says, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice 
in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Interesting. Remember, we're looking at it. We're trying to say, Lord, help me to get a clearer picture of the wonderful theme of the Bible, the wonderful purpose of the Scripture. And here it is that whatever this theme is, all the prophets, they wrote about it. And now we're looking at this Genesis story before the fall, and we're looking at Adam and Eve, and we're saying to ourselves, okay, here it is, one minute, they're married, holy matrimony, they're naked but not ashamed, but by time sin comes into the picture, now they're naked and ashamed. That's why they hid themselves. And brothers and sisters, I believe with all of my heart, there clearly was something that Adam and Eve had in Genesis 2.25 that they lost by Genesis 3, 6 through 10. And whatever it is that Adam and Eve lost in between that experience is exactly what all the holy prophets have been writing about of how we can get it back. Amen. Are you following? Yes. Therefore, what do you think, based off of all your wonderful training all throughout these days so far, what do you think would be the natural question of research for the people of God as we're now looking into this so we can better understand the theme of the Bible? What was it that they were wearing? Clearly, there was something they had in Genesis 2.25 that they lost by Genesis 3, 6 through 10. What was it that they were wearing? What would you say? Okay, we say what? We say Christ's righteousness. Sounds good. What else would we say? God's law? God's glory. Okay, one more. Innocence. All right. Now, here's the thing. Watch this now. We said we want to revive the primitive godliness. Is that right? Amen. Do you know that our pioneers, they had a habit that they did not talk simply what was on their mind, but they expressed what thus said the Lord. So in other words, would it not be beneficial for us to take people to the word of God to show them? You see, I love references. Let me tell you something. I'm an advocate of spirit of prophecy. You can't go on the internet and listen to any of my messages and think that I hate the spirit of prophecy. I love the spirit of prophecy. Amen. But I also understand that there's a lot of people who do not yet know the prophet. And as a result of that, they may not be able to respect her authoritative position. But yet they may have a wonderful respect for thus saith the Lord, the word of God, the Bible. So therefore, would you not agree that at the same time as we can explain many of our beliefs simply through the spirit of prophecy, shouldn't we be able to make the same points from the Bible? Amen. The spirit of prophecy is none other than a magnifying glass, brothers and sisters. A magnifying glass. Does it put something there that wasn't there? No. Does a magnifying glass take away something that was there? No. A magnifying glass only makes clearer that which was there. Amen. So therefore, any point that Sister White makes, we should be able to find it right here in the Bible. Amen? Amen. Amen. So therefore, when we use these terms like innocence, and the list goes on, how could we go through the scripture and literally show people what Adam and Eve were wearing? You know what? It's too simple. I love the gospel. Best thing that ever came in my life. It's too simple. You know how simple it is? Genesis 1, 26. Doesn't it make sense? It's almost sanctified logic. The Bible says in Genesis 1 and verse 26, that's what the Bible says. Look at it right here. You want to know what they were wearing? All you got to do is do this. 
Genesis 1 and verse 26, the Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our own likeness. So therefore, mankind did not simply have a mind like God, but man actually had an imagery like God as well. So therefore, if I want to know, Adam and Eve, what were you clothed with? All I got to do is say, Father, what were you clothed with? Too simple. Whatever God was clothed with, Adam and Eve were clothed with because they were made in God's image. And I wonder what the Bible says God covered himself with like a garment. Psalms 104. In Psalms 104, let's notice what the Bible says. In Psalms 104th division, let's go ahead and look at verses 1 and 2. In Psalms 104, verses 1 and 2, let's see what the Bible says. And when you get there, please say amen. Now watch this. The Bible says in Psalms 104, 1 and 2, notice what it says now. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Watch this. Read verse 2 with me. Who coverest thyself with light as with a garment. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. What is a garment? A garment is clothing. And God says he covers himself with what? Light. Like a garment. Are you following? So therefore, now we have to say, okay, clearly Adam and Eve were covered with light. Because God himself covered himself with light, like a garment. So far, so good? All right, we're making these points. We can easily go to the Spirit of Prophecy and say, oh, bang, and just tell them right there, which is good, especially for those of us who believe. First Corinthians 14 says the prophets are, the prophecies are for the believers. So, you know, we can handle that. At least we should, unless we lie at the pool. Huh? But nevertheless, there are some who have yet understood the authority of the prophet. So can we make the same point straight from the Bible? Now here it is, we see thus far, God comes himself with light, like a garment. What is this light? What does the light represent? Go to the book of John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we see something else. John chapter 1. What is the light? Very simple steps. John chapter 1. In fact, we can use John 9, 5. Let's just do John 9, 5. I'm going to do it a quick way. I'm wrestling with time. So that's why you'll find me going ahead and moving a little more expeditiously than usual. John 9, verse 5, and if you're there, please say amen. amen. The Bible says in John 9 and verse 5, Christ says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So therefore, follow the picture. Here it is. God says, I want to restore. I want to do this great work of restoration. But the only way we can do it is we got to deal with it where the issue first started. So therefore, we went to creation. We went to creation. We saw Adam and Eve in the beginning, naked, not ashamed. Genesis 3, 6 through 10, now they are naked and ashamed. Clearly, they lost something in the interim. We're investigating. So we said, all right, well, what did they have? We went into Genesis 1, 26. We said, okay, well, Adam and Eve were made in God's image. So therefore, whatever God is covered with, Adam and Eve must have been covered with the same thing that caused them to be naked and not ashamed. Did you know right now that every single one of you in this room are naked? Did you know that? Every, and I'm not talking spiritually. 
I'm talking physically. Every single one of you are naked right now. You know why you're not ashamed? Because you have clothing on that's covering your nakedness. Are you following? So therefore, Adam and Eve, yes, they were naked, but they had clothing on them. That was covering their nakedness. Therefore, they had no need to be ashamed. So now, all of a sudden, here's this picture where now they're naked. Every they see themselves, oh man, and they start pulling out the sewing machine and they start trying to make this apron. <laughs> so they can go ahead and try to cover their nakedness. So we're saying, Lord, well, what is it that they lost? And we saw that in Psalm 104, God comes himself with light. Christ is referred to as this light. And brothers and sisters, there's only one thing that light does. It illuminates. It exposes something. Is that right? Amen. What does the light help us to behold? Micah chapter 7. Micah the 7th chapter, I want you to see what the Bible says. In Micah the 7th chapter... Give you a little grace. A lot of us will probably turn to the book of Micah often. Micah the seventh chapter. Now, in Micah chapter seven, notice what the Bible says in verse nine. In Micah seven, in verse nine, there's something that light. Remember, light illuminates. It helps us to behold something, to see something. What does Micah say? Micah says in Micah seven, in verse nine, he says, "I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against Him." Until he pleads my cause and execute judgment for me, he will bring me forth to the what? Light, and I shall behold his righteousness. You see, you were right all along. All you had did all we did just now is we biblically substantiated. So that it's not just my words anymore, now it's God's words. Adam and Eve in the beginning, they were covered with the righteousness of God. Now, here's what's something that I found to be very interesting. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 4, because there's something that is synonymous to righteousness. The Bible says in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to look at verse 24. We're going to see something that is synonymous to righteousness. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse 24, notice what the Bible says. It says... And that he put on the new man, which after God is created in what? Righteousness and true holiness. Holiness, righteousness are synonymous. Now I feel much more comfortable giving you some magnification from the book Ministry of Healing, page 461. Prophet of God says, but when they yielded to the tempter, the light departed from them in losing the garments of holiness. Huh? Ministry Healing 461. They lost the garments of holiness. And what is synonymous to holiness? Righteousness. righteousness. They have no garments of righteousness. Garments of holiness. It says, but when they yielded to the tempter, the light departed from them. In losing the garments of holiness, they lost the light that had illuminated nature. Now, watch this. Adam and Eve lost that wonderful world of righteousness. <coughs> now, I think we can get some gems now when we go back to Genesis. Go back to Genesis 3. By the way, when Adam and Eve were clothed, who made this robe? Who made this garment? Did God do it? God did it, didn't he? Now that's interesting. Want to know why? I think you're about to tell me what this represents. Go back to Genesis 3, and let's look at verses 6 and 7 again. 
In Genesis 3, 6 and 7, the Bible says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her, her husband with her, and he did eat. Verse 7, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And what did they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. If in the beginning when God made Adam and Eve, God provided them with the garment, but here it is that when they fell into sin, instead of repenting, instead of going to God and saying, Lord, have mercy on us sinners, instead they decided to make their own apron. I wonder what those, that apron represents. Self-righteousness. If the original garment that God made was a garment of righteousness and holiness. Here it is now they sewed together their fig leaves, they put forth their own works, their own efforts to try to clothe themselves, and even though, though they did their best, they were still naked. Now the reason why I find that to be interesting is I want you to listen to what Christ on Lessons, page 311 says. It says, the white robe of innocence, my brother, it says the white robe of innocence was worn by our first parents when they were placed by God in holy Eden. They lived in perfect conformity to the will of God. All the strength of their affections was given to their heavenly Father. A beautiful, soft light, the light of God, enshrouded the holy pair. This robe of light was a symbol of their spiritual garments of heavenly innocence. Had they remained true to God, it would ever have continued to enshroud them. But when sin entered, they severed their connection with God, and the light that had encircled them departed. Naked and ashamed, they tried to supply the place of the heavenly garments by sewing together fig leaves for a covering. This is what the transgressors of God's law have done ever since the day of Adam and Eve's disobedience. They have sewed together fig leaves to cover the nakedness caused by transgression. They have worn the garments of their own devising by works of their own. They have tried to cover their sins and make themselves acceptable with God. There's a lot of people today who are wearing Adam's apron. Now watch this. The reason why we know an apron is insufficient is because number one, apron has very low cleavage, which means that the chest area is exposed. Aprons are typically sleeveless, has an open back, and usually goes just a little bit below the, the, mid, the mid thigh area. Reveals total nakedness. Now watch this. God in mercy sees Adam and Eve in this condition. And look at what he does in Genesis 3, 21. It says in Genesis 3, 21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothed them. You see, brothers and sisters, the whole theme, the whole purpose of the Bible is to help man put his clothes back on. <laughs> I love simplicity. I got enough stuff going on in my head, brothers and sisters. I'm 38 years young. I've been in the hip-hop R&B industry. I got a whole lot of scars that still remain under this clean suit, and I got issues. And the last thing I need is to try to make things more complicated. The Bible is simple, and I want to keep it simple. Amen. 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 
Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, the Bible is simple. God, the whole thing of the Bible, the whole purpose of the Bible is to help us get our clothes back on. In the beginning, God ran man, he provided the clothes. Man falls into sin, he tries to make his own garment. God sees insufficient, God says, I'll clothe him again. Put that righteousness back on us. And what's so beautiful? Adam and Eve had no part in the weaving process. God made the clothing. And this is why in Isaiah 61, what Isaiah is the 61st division, or 61st chapter that is, in Isaiah 61, this is why God tells us this wonderful statement, verse 10. Many of us know this text very well. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. Here's what God tells us. It's a beautiful story. And you'll see why I'm building on this point. In Isaiah 61 and verse 10, notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. God is going to clothe his people once again with his wonderful robe of righteousness. This is the theme of the Bible. God wants to help us get our clothes back on. God wants us to be presented before him in such a manner that there's none of self in all of Christ that can be seen. I remember one evangelist who said, Jesus is coming back for a bunch of mirrors. People that he can see himself in. And what's so beautiful is he says, I'm going to do it. I'm the one that's going to go ahead and do this. Now, brothers and sisters, why does God want to do this so much? What was it that caused the garment to be removed? Sin. So therefore, in order for God to clothe us once again with his righteousness, that means he needs to remove the thing that caused it, causing it to go away, which is what? Sin. sin. Now, why would that be such an issue with God? Why does God have such an issue with sin? Talk to me. Brings pain, his children. Brings pain, brings suffering. To claim his children. To claim his children. Say again now. Separation. Separation. Now, brothers and sisters, think about it. In Isaiah 59, verse 2, we know that the Bible tells us our iniquities have separated between us and our gods. Watch this. But it says, and our sins have caused him to do what? Turn his face from us that he will not hear us. Brothers and sisters, you got to understand. I'm really grateful for Army. You want to know another reason why? Outside of all the wonderful spiritual components, I was grateful because I was able to bring my bride with me. Amen. My wife. And brothers and sisters, i got to tell you the truth. Often when I travel, I'm not privileged to bring my bride with me. And sometimes I'll talk to my wife on the cell phone, and brother says, we'll be on the phone for hours. I'm serious. It's just like we started courting all over again. I mean, it's sweet. It's sweet. My wife will tell you, we'll be on the phone sometimes. You get over, man, it's been two hours, three hours. And I mean, it, the time just flies. And I'm thankful for the ability to talk to my wife over the phone. Sometimes my wife is on the road, she'll send me those little text messages. Sometimes I get to text back and, you know, we'll send a little winky faces to each other. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? We'll send out those things we just let each other, I love you, you know, and we just let each other, you know, just expressions of love through all these things. And sometimes I say, Father, I'm so grateful that I can not only talk to my wife, but I can also text and email and do all these things. But brothers and sisters, you know the greatest joy is when I get off of that plane. And I go through that Atlanta airport, collect my bags. Walk outside, and I see that van pull up, and I'm able to see my bride Amen. face to face. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Jesus loves it 
but we're able to talk about him through his word. Jesus loves it. And we love it when we're able to communicate with God through the various forms of prayer that he ordained. But brothers and sisters, God is longing for the day when he can move prayer aside. When he can move all the mediums aside, even as human agents, he can move them aside and he can finally get rid of the thing that broke up the face-to-face -face communion. And once again, he can have face-to-face -face communion with his people. The theme of the Bible is to help us put our clothes back on so we can have the face-to-face -face communion with our precious Savior. Now, brothers and sisters, understanding this, understanding this, this is why the Bible talks about this so much. Now, what does God want to clothe us with? His what? His righteousness. Now, the question is, what does the Bible call righteousness? We said love. What else? Thy law is righteous. Talk to me. Psalm 119.172. Let's go to Psalm 119.172. Let's see something else the Bible calls righteousness. Now, the Bible says in Psalm 119 and 172, let's see what the Bible says. When you get there, please let me know by saying amen. In Psalm 119, 172, let's see what the Bible says. In Psalm 119, 172, notice what the Bible says. If you're there, say amen. amen. It says, my tongue shall speak of thy word for how many? All, All thy commandments are righteousness. righteousness. Now go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we find out something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And let us look at verse 30 and 31. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 30 and 31, the Bible says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, and what's that next one? And righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Amen. In one text, we see Christ is our righteousness. In another text, we see God's commandments are righteousness. Then we go to the book of John, the 15th chapter. In John 15, notice what the Bible says here. Let's see if we can tie it all together. John, the 15th chapter. In John, the 15th chapter, notice what the Bible says in verse 10. Talking about this same Jesus. It says in John 15 and verse 10, it says, If ye keep my what? Commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So therefore, God's commandments are righteousness. Christ is our righteousness. Christ's obedience to God's law completely and holistically sums him up to be all the righteousness that we would ever need. And therefore, no wonder the Bible says in Revelation 14. Now, you remember Revelation 14 and verse 12, where it says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, I thought about that, and I was like, you know, I read the book Evangelism, page 190, where the question was asked, so why are you saying, do you believe that, you know, justification by faith is the, is the third angel's message? And she said, yes, justification is by faith is the third angel's message in verity. I wondered, how did she get that? You ever ask yourself those questions? How did she get that? But do you know how she got it? It's what you just did. What are the commandments? Righteousness, right? 
So therefore, when we are justified, God declares us as righteous. Now watch this. Brothers and sisters, we must understand then that what the third angel's message was really saying is here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that are protecting or guarding, because that's what the word keep means. They are guarding their experience of righteousness by the faith of Jesus. So God is trying to say that he wants to bring us. The whole theme of the Bible is to bring us into Christ's righteousness, that he may cover us again. Now, the reason why I bring this point out to you is because there's two dynamics of experiencing the salvation and righteousness of Christ. I want you to see something the Bible says. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. There are two dynamics, and you're going to see why, because we're getting ready to do an exercise in just a moment as we get ready to close. In the book of Ephesians chapter 1, I want you to see something the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 1, look what the Bible says in verse 7. Ephesians 1 and verse 7, the Bible says this. It says, in whom, talking about Jesus, verse 5 is talking about Jesus, but verse 7 it says, in whom we have what? Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So therefore, one dynamic of this wonderful salvation that brings us into the experience of Christ's righteousness is that the Bible says we are redeemed. Redemption. That's part of this whole process. Redemption. Now, let's look at the other part. Let's go to the book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. This is what the Bible says. Titus chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 3 to 5. And when you get there, please say amen. 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 The Bible says in Titus 3, 3 to 5, it says, I'm in verse 5. It says, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. It says, but after... That the kindness and love of God, our Savior toward man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he did what? He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The second dynamic of when one is truly experiencing God's salvation is they're not just redeemed, but they're also restored. They're recreated. They are made new. That's what the text brings out. Any message of salvation that is independent of one of these two is a false gospel. It cannot bring out the great purpose of the Bible because it is twisted or rested. What God wants is to redeem us. We fell into the trap of sin. We enlisted Satan as our master. We did his will. But then God woke our hearts up. The wonderful love of Jesus met us wherever we were. And then as he met us, he then began to woo us and to reveal his love and redemption to us and said, I have already paid the price to buy you back. But brothers and sisters, if you had a favorite vehicle and you were driving it down the road and one day you drove it down the road, you got into a car accident and the car was totaled. And here it is that somebody says, well, listen, we know the car is totaled, but we can go ahead and give you an opportunity to buy it back. 
And you say, okay, well, yeah, I want to buy it back. But then you spend your money, you buy the car back, and then all of a sudden, a big old truck comes to your house, takes this big old hunk of metal, all banged up, bruised up, and everything else, and just drops it on your driveway. Bid you farewell, and they're on their way. You've redeemed your vehicle, but is it any use to you? The only way that vehicle becomes of use to you, you can't just redeem it, you have to restore it. You gotta make it back into its image so that it can serve its purpose. And so it is that Christ, when he brings salvation to us, when he offers us his righteousness, it is not saying that you can live in sin, but by his grace you can get victory over it. Amen. And you can have the lovely image of Jesus restored in you as it should. Is that right? Amen. This is why education, page 125, says the central theme of the Bible. He thought I was making it up, didn't It says the central theme of the Bible, the theme about which every other in the whole book clusters is the redemption plan. The restoration in the human soul of the image of God. The burden, watch this, the burden of every book. It says, and every passage. I heard Pastor Mine say that earlier. I said, praise God for confirmation. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, he and I, he and I did not talk about a single thing. It's been happening a lot in this meeting, hasn't it? Yes. It says the burden of every book and every passage of the Bible is the unfolding of this wondrous scene. Man's uplifting. The power of God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The reason this is important is because if you don't have your theme right, your whole Bible study will be wrong. There are people today who study the Bible because they're trying to find proof texts to substantiate what they believe according to their denomination. Brothers and sisters, you can miss the whole theme of the Bible that If you pay attention to North America, North America is one of the areas where we're suffering quite a bit as Seventh-day Adventists when it comes to soul winning. We got all this recycling, sheet stealing, and all this other stuff where everybody's cooking churches all day long. Some of, us, some of us have dead people on the church books and counting them amongst the number. Oh yeah, we have 500 members. 400 of them are dead. We're cooking the books. We're doing all sorts of things to make it look like something that is not necessarily real. One of the reasons why the work of evangelism is languishing so much is because we're presenting doctrines in many respects separate, disconnected from the theme. Every doctrine, every teaching, every emphasis, every admonishment. We've got to show people the theme. When you bring people to the Sabbath, don't just show them a day, show them the theme within that day. When you talk about jewelry, amen. When you make it plain, the positions that God's word holds. Brothers and sisters, you need to keep the theme in the picture. Even when you talk about the law of God, you know, brothers and sisters, sometimes we can talk about the law of God. We can go to somebody in New Age and say, did you know that you're not supposed to have any other God before you? 
And we can go ahead and talk to them about how God has called us. Thou shalt have no other gods. But brothers and sisters, does the law of God reveal God's character? So why is it that when we teach the law of God, we only teach it under the context of sin? Is God sinful? No. You see, brothers, this is that same commandment that says, Thou shalt have no other gods. And we can go to somebody, and we can take them to the sons and daughters of God, page 57, and we can show them, oh, even the prophet says, that anything that you put first in your life, that is your God. We can show them the sin, but what would happen if one day we flipped it and said, Do you know that God so loved you that he made you first in his life? All right. Amen. While he saw a whole universe, galaxies, that did not fall into sin, God looked on this little earth, and he saw people who needed him, and he made them a priority. And he so loved them that he gave himself for them. All God is saying is that he wants you to make him a priority as he has made you a priority. You can live it. I challenge you to do an exercise. Take each of the commandments of God and find out how does this show me God's character. We teach it all the time. We proof text it all day long. Romans 7, 7 and Romans. I mean, we know the text. We know the text off the top of the dome. But at the same time, a lot of times we're just presenting it lopsided. Just want to show them sin. Show them. Now, do we need to do that? Amen. Desire of Ages 103, Prophet God says that before the gospel seed could find lodgment in the heart, John the Baptist had to first break up the fallow ground so that the seed may find lodgment. We have to remove the carnal security that most people in this world today are in. We have to remove that so that when we give them the gospel seed, this is why evangelism, page 196, says that the books of Daniel and Revelation are the very foundation of the Seventh-day Adventist church. And she says that as we preach the books of Daniel and Revelation, we are to show connected with it the words, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Balance, brothers and sisters. You've got to keep the being in mind. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and pause as I give you an assignment as we prepare to depart. Your assignment is going to be this. I want you to take, I want you to take two of the fundamental beliefs of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I will allow you to pick the ones that you can choose except the one, of course, on righteousness by faith. In other words, I want you to pick one of these 28 fundamental beliefs. Remnant church, tithe and offering. In fact, no, I'm not even going to give you that. We're going to be specific. How do you show the theme and purpose of the Bible in the doctrine of tithe and offering? I like that. That was just down there. I like that. How can you show the theme of the Bible? Did we study it? Do we see the theme? Do we see it, really? Do we see it? Amen? Amen. All right. How do you show the theme of the Bible in the doctrine of tithe and offering? Is that a doctrine? Amen. Okay. Well, in short, we said the theme is for God to put our clothes back on. Now, if you were not here for that whole study, the ultimate theme is that God may clothe us with the righteousness of Christ and give us the gift of salvation, which involves redemption and restoration.
How do you show God's redemptive, restorative plan in the doctrine of tithe and offering? You follow that question? You got it? Second, how do you show the doctrine of the remnant church of Bible prophecy with the theme of God's redemptive and restorative plan? How do you do it? Do you understand the challenge? Is there anybody who does not understand the challenge? All right, repeat. The redemptive plan is God giving us salvation through his righteousness that we might be redeemed and restored. How do you show that theme in the doctrine of tithe and offering? Do we believe in returning tithe and offering? Yes. Do we teach it? Yes. Do we do it? Yes. Now, how do you help someone see that? Because you know a lot of times people are waiting for you. You come into their house week after week doing Bible studies, and they're like, all right, keep coming, keep coming. But they know sooner or later you're going to start asking for my money. <laughs> they know a lot of times. Sooner or later, I, I knew what they were going to ask me for my money. <laughs> how do you help them see that we're just not simply saying, hey, give us some money. But how do you help them see the redemptive restoration plan within the doctrine of tithe and offering? Are you following? Yes. Okay. Another doctrine of great offense. Of great offense. It almost seems like a doctrine of great exclusiveness, exclusivity, is this doctrine of the remnant church of Bible prophecy. Once we say, oh yeah, we're a remnant, people say, wait a minute, you're saying I'm not part of God's family? And the list goes on. And it can be very offensive to men. How do you help someone see the redemptive restoration plan in the doctrine of the remnant church of Bible prophecy? Are you following? Are there any questions? And let us close. Let us close. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us an opportunity to put our clothes back on. We thank you, dear God, that the righteousness of Christ is still available. And Father, this is not a cheap grace message. We know, dear God, that we are not doing any work in order to be saved. But Father, we recognize that these works simply testify of the salvation you have given to us. Amen. And Father, we're praying that you'll please help us in all of our study efforts to not simply look to proof texts and find different things to substantiate what we believe. But Father, please help us to see the wonderful, redemptive, and restorative plan in all of the passages of the Bible. To see how this is showing us how you desire to put our clothes back on and cover our nakedness. Father Laodicea has the same issue of nakedness. It's not an old issue, but it's a living issue. Please, Father, clothe us, we ask, and help us to yield as you come to our hearts and live out thy life within us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.